a desert planet with twin suns. Why do I sense we've picked up another pathetic life form? Use my knowledge. Much to learn, you still Welcome back to Twin Sun Talks, folks. I'm your host, Jonah Liu. Thank you so much for listening, and I'm very excited to have you tuning in to part two of my breakdown of Anakin Skywalker's turn to the dark side. Now, that being said, this is part two, so if you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and listen to that first. It's going to be the episode directly before this, episode 113, and that will kind of help give you the full picture of my character study that I'm kind of doing over Anakin Skywalker in this two-part series. Now, as I stated in my last episode, my thesis and sort of just uh, context behind what I'm trying to accomplish in these episodes is that Anakin Skywalker is simultaneously a very complicated and simple person. And what I mean by that is that he is consistent with his fear and motivation. So there's not a lot of diversity in um, the fear and the driving forces behind the decisions that he makes. But people tend to miss the depth behind each of these different facets of his turn to the dark side. And these episodes, I'm trying to sort of flesh those out and make them more apparent because while he is very consistent and very predictable in the reasons that he does what he does, there are a lot of instances in which he does them. So in last week's episode, we went through his mother Shmi, Obi-Wan Kenobi, his mentor and master, and Padme Amidala, his wife. And we went through the fact that Anakin is sort of driven by an obsessive fear of loss and desire for control. And that is what drives most of his actions in the canon storyline. And while I will acknowledge that a lot of the stuff that I'll say today is very similar to what I said last week, I think that it is very important to analyze all the aspects of Anakin's major relationships and actions to get the full picture of why he turned. Because even though the reasons that for his turn that are contributed by um, Ahsoka may be very similar to those contributed by Obi-Wan. I think that it's important to see the consistencies across these different storylines between these different characters to sort of flesh out this greater story that is often overlooked because the movies don't do a great job of um, providing that context. And so I want to give people the opportunity to see this tragedy in its entirety. So with that said, let's dive once again into ARC Trooper training. Gentlemen, who wants to be an ARC Trooper? I do, sir! So much like in part one, I'm going to continue breaking down Anakin's actions based on his major relationships. And so, like I said, in the last episode, we went through Shmi, Obi-Wan, and Padme. And in this episode, we're going to be going through Ahsoka, the Jedi as a whole, Palpatine, Vader, and Luke. And I hope that after I go through all of that, you'll be able to get a full picture for why Anakin turned and why it's not the rushed and disjointed mess that might be portrayed from just watching the movies. Now, first off, we're going to be talking about Ahsoka Tano, who is Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. And she was introduced in the Clone Wars movie first and then was fleshed out a lot in the Clone Wars TV show and has made appearances in other franchises such as Star Wars Rebels and The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett and all that sort of stuff. So she's become a very beloved character, but if you don't have that context, then um, she might be sort of foreign to you. But Ahsoka provides a very interesting and complex relationship for Anakin because he reluctantly takes her on as his apprentice despite not wanting one because he didn't want someone to come between him 
and Obi-Wan, which once again just highlights his sort of emotional attachment to Obi-Wan that is not very characteristic of most Jedi. But as they grow in their relationship and they spend more time together, Anakin eventually becomes extremely protective of Ahsoka. And there are some really great, there are a lot of really great examples of this. The first of which is at the beginning of season two of the Clone Wars in the Holocron arc, where Cad Bane, who is a bounty hunter, steals a Holocron from the Jedi Temple and goes on this crusade at the behest of Darth Sidious. And at the end of all of this, or not at the end of all of this, but in the middle of all of this, Cad Bane has Ahsoka captured and is threatening to kill Ahsoka if Anakin does not open the holocron to allow him to access its information and combine that information with the hol- or the kyber memory crystal, which would give him access to all of the Force-sensitive children in the Jedi's database. Now, most Jedi would be trained to allow any attachment to anyone remotely close to them slide in order to protect the information that was within that holocron. Anakin does not. He chooses to give Cad Bane access to the holocron rather than let Ahsoka die. And this puts the lives of all of the Force-sensitive children on that list at risk. And this is the exact reason that Jedi don't permit attachments, because it doesn't allow Anakin to put the needs of the Collective above his individual needs and desires. Now, moving on to the second battle of Geonosis. Whenever Ahsoka Tano and Barriss Afi infiltrate the Geonosian weapon factory, and they essentially sacrifice themselves to destroy the factory and accomplish their mission, but they are trapped under this enormous pile of rubble. Now, Luminar Unduli, Barriss's master, is more than willing to let Barriss go while Anakin keeps pushing until he finds both Ahsoka and Barriss under the rubble. And then, subsequently, during the Brain Invaders crisis, after the Geonosian battle, he tortures Poggle the Lesser for information on how to kill the worms, which goes directly against Jedi doctrine and is a war crime. But he's willing to go to those lengths in order to save Ahsoka from this, um, these parasitic creatures. And then Ahsoka, I think this is at the end of Season 3, or Season 4 maybe, I think it's 3. At the end of Season 3, Ahsoka is abducted on Felucia by Trandoshan hunters, and we get to see Anakin really struggle with surrendering control and trusting that Ahsoka will be able to make her way home when the situation is out of his control. And that is the really important thing to note about the situation, is that Anakin is completely out of control. or It has zero control over the situation whenever Ahsoka is on her own and her life is in danger, but she can only he can only hope that his training is enough to get her out of it. And I love that afterwards, she, whenever she comes back, he is panicked, and he's like, I'm so sorry, I should have done more, I should have tried harder. And she reassures him and says, hey, you did all that you needed to, because when I was all alone, all I had was your training, and with that, I was able to survive. And Anakin is very is comforted in this way. And they walk off as Padawan and Master. And Yoda smiles after them for a reason that I will discuss later. But Yoda thinks that maybe Anakin has shown some growth through this moment. Which obviously 
he doesn't fully, but at least maybe in that moment, he, he grew just a little bit. Lastly, of course, Ahsoka gets framed at the end of season five of the Clone Wars. And we get to see Anakin hopelessly out of control of everything when he's sure of Ahsoka's innocence, but has nothing but his word to show for it. And he threatens Commander Fox and is turned away by the military force on Coruscant. He is enraged by the Jedi Council's decision to expel her, and he goes to great lengths to interrogate Ventress and Barriss and prove Ahsoka's innocence, and then he is devastated when Ahsoka decides to leave anyways. Because she's like a sister to him. She's this person who he's dedicated years of his life to and has dedicated so much time and has risked so much to try to save and protect. And then she just leaves because of the mistakes of the Jedi. Even though he was there for her, they weren't. And so she leaves. And this is also ties back into Revenge of the Sith and part of his... Uh, part of what I talked about with Padme. But Anakin would have been granted the rank of master if he had achieved uh, the task of training a Padawan to knighthood. That's, a, that's an automatic mastership position. But he didn't get that. But he, she was almost there. She was nearly given the rank of knight in that episode. But that is just another reason why it's so frustrating that the mastership role is withheld from him because he feels like he has all the qualifications and the Jedi still refuse to abide by his wishes. And these wishes are directly correlated to him wanting to save Padme. So see, it all kind of wraps up in a nice little bow and all sort of connects. It's like poetry, it rhymes, it's, it's beautiful. Then we see in Clone Wars Season 7, this is a really interesting thing because it adds another layer to Anakin's sort of anxiety and his caring nature, because when he returns Ahsoka's lightsabers to her, they're blue. They used to be green. And Dave Filoni, and Dave Filoni says that he's been tinkering with them, fine-tuning them while Ahsoka was away, and the end result was literally altering the color of her blades. And this is really significant because the blades reflect the sort of character and personality of the wielder. Blue are people who are very powerful and uh, are warriors. Green are people that are more scholarly and are um, more force-attuned. And red are obviously the color of blood crystals from Sith. And white are purified crystals. And purple signifies a balance between light and dark. But Anakin puts so much of himself into her lightsabers that it literally alters their personality the reflection of, of Ahsoka's personality to reflect his that is how invasive and overpowering his actions are and that being said he means well he almost always means well but this shows that his quote-unquote help can sometimes go too far without him realizing it does that sound familiar maybe like him literally turning to the dark side in the service of trying to save his wife from a supposed death just something to consider. But I think what's really important, and this is what I was talking about with Yoda sort of smiling after him, Anakin and Ahsoka, after they sort of reconcile and have a really close moment. Ahsoka was in the end a test from the Jedi for Anakin, an attempt to see if he would 
ever be able to let go of his connection to his student, even after he finished his mandate to train her. And Yoda and the Jedi hoped that the process of training and eventually moving on from each other, from the role of master and apprentice, would help with his tendency to form attachments and would teach him that sometimes a Jedi's role lies beyond personal desire and attachment. This had a very contrary effect, of course, because he becomes even more attached to her and even more unwilling to let her go. But that being said, I think that it's very appropriate for us to transition into talking about the Jedi. And now, I think Anakin's relationship with the Jedi is probably the most obvious um, and probably the most superficial. But I think that this quote from Obi-Wan talking about Anakin in Revenge of the Sith is really fantastic. This is the Revenge of the Sith novelization, which I'm quoting a lot, but I think that it gives a lot of insight into Anakin's mind, even if it's no longer canon. And that quote is, Abstractions like peace don't mean much to him, him being Anakin. He is totally, or he is loyal to people, not principles, and he expects loyalty in return. And I think that that quote is really fantastic when describing the Jedi because that idea that he expects loyalty in return and that he's loyal to people, the Jedi show no loyalty to him. And I'm about to talk about why. All the Jedi ever do is put him in a box. They never understood his emotionality or his care and the love he feels for, uh, feels for those that he's close to and their dogmatic and narrow-minded doctrine doesn't allow for any nuance to their approach. To summarize, they continually manipulated and lied to Anakin in the hopes of reining him in. He's told to let go and to stop caring when his compassion and heart were fundamental to his nature. They were ingrained in him by his mother. And rather than meeting him where he was... All they did was slap his wrists and tell him to essentially do better. The Jedi alienate and patronize him to the extent that they become the only thing between him and the most important thing in his life, which is saving Padme. They withhold the rank of master from him, along with critical information that could aid him in finding the answer to his plight, and they are unwilling to see his perspective so unwilling that he can't express his problems without completely uprooting his life and putting him and Padme in more danger. And ultimately, he's forced to seek knowledge from somewhere else. And that somewhere else is Palpatine. Nice little transition there. Palpatine is the father that Anakin never had. Qui-Gon died. He had sort of filled that role up until that point. And then Palp swooped right, right on in. We will watch your career with great interest, right? He falls into the category of those that Anakin is deathly afraid to lose. Take the Battle of Coruscant. Palpatine gets abducted and Anakin scrambles to come and get them because he's afraid of being too late. He would not be able to forgive himself if he was able to save Palpatine, but was unable to get there in time. This causes a lot of anxiety. But Palpatine was so much more to Anakin than we ever get to see on screen. Because he was a confidant, a friend, and a mentor. 
He gave Anakin a space to be himself without any scrutiny or judgment from the Jedi. Anakin tells him about his massacre of the Tuscans. The only other person other than Palpatine that he tells is Padme. He doesn't tell Obi-Wan or any of the Jedi. And what Palpatine does that's so sadistic but also so brilliant is that he feeds the fire of Anakin's doubts and frustration with the Jedi by feeding his ego and putting him at odds with the Jedi and their ideology. He says things like, oh, I can't believe that they wouldn't choose you for this. You're the obvious choice. Or don't discredit your emotions. They are what makes you special. And then he also, like, he tells Anakin to kill Count Dooku in cold blood. Even though Anakin is fully aware that it's against Jedi doctrine, but Palpatine puts him on the spot to test him and see if he's ready. And he puts him on the council, knowing full well that the Jedi wouldn't make him a master and risk giving Palpatine, inadvertently giving Palpatine a voice on the council itself. In Revenge of the Sith, Palpatine begins to prod at Anakin's perception of the differences between Sith and Jedi doctrine. And he sort of leads him to the conclusion that the two really aren't as different as the Jedi make them out to be. The Sith only want to bring order to the galaxy. And he says that, he goes as far to say, he would trust the Sith if they had the power to stop the war. He said that if Darth Sidious, whoever he may be, wink, wink, were to walk into his office, he wouldn't arrest him. He would sit him down and ask him questions and see if he had any power to stop the war. He gives Anakin the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the wise, the one thing that he wants, the power to save and preserve life. And he also convinced Anakin that the Jedi are more concerned with maintaining their position of power than they are with protecting the Republic. Just planting seeds, he's grooming Anakin. He acts as this predator, using Anakin's fear as bait and pouncing on him when he's most vulnerable. And this is how he falls into Palpatine's trap. He's willing to do whatever it takes to save Padme because he's out of options. The Jedi won't help him. And he's just so scared of being powerless. And Palpatine is a friend. He understands Anakin. He takes the time to really know him in a way that the Jedi never did. He weans him off from the flock and goes in for the kill. And when Anakin is given a choice to save Palpatine or allow Mace Windu to kill him and lose any chance that he had of learning how to save Padme, there's no contest. And he falls into the trap. He takes the leap and keeps spiraling deeper and deeper into the darkness in the pursuit of this unattainable power that he feels owed. And Palpatine uses this fear of loss, this fear of losing the people that he loves the most, and manipulates him into turning his loved ones against him. So now we come to Vader. And it is crucial to acknowledge that Vader is effectively a completely different person than Anakin entirely. At the end of it all, he loses every single person that he ever cared about because of his actions. And he lives in this perpetual anguish, both over his actions and because his suit is literally designed to be physically uncomfortable. He never stops trying to bring Padme back. This is the plot of many comic books as well as a Vader video game. This desire to reverse this absolute point in time drives him nearly insane. 
And he also, he hates Palpatine. He hates him with a burning passion, but he doesn't kill him. One, because he can't. He's not powerful enough. We see what kills him. Force lightning shorts out his circuits. Palpatine could kill him easily. But also, and this is crucial, Palpatine is all that he has left. Despite all the evil, despite everything that he's done to him, he is the only thing that Vader or Anakin has at the end of it all. That is the cruel irony of Vader's story, is that he dooms himself because he tries to assert absolute control over his path in life. This reminds me of the quote that his mother tells him before he leaves for the Jedi, you can't stop the change any more than you can stop the suns from setting, but Anakin can't accept that. He needs the power to make his life what he wants. Now, Vader, who's not Anakin, they're completely different people, is this sadistic and twisted creature that had slept dormant inside Anakin and is the manifestation of all of his fear and greed and hate that he repressed and that had grown into this deplorable thing that consumed him the moment that he cut through Mace's arm. He had no more reason to fear, no more reason to push that down because he would soon have all the power he needed with his chains undone, but he only traded the chains of the Jedi for the chains of the Sith. And so now he acts as this cruel and evil person who killed Anakin Skywalker in the pursuit of unattainable power. And as we see in Obi-Wan Kenobi, the TV show, he relishes in the fact that he killed Anakin. He finds this demented pleasure in the knowledge of that fact. And he's fueled by this deep self-loathing and sadness that all stems from those terrible things that he's done. And at the end of the day, he's numb to the atrocities that he commits and is indifferent towards the lives that he destroys because he's simply a tool. He's like a gun that just needs to be pointed and shot. A shell of what he once was and what he could have been. But he does it because he's let his rage consume him to the point of absoluteness. And I think that what encapsulates Vader perfectly, at least for my purposes, is the scene at the end of the Kenobi show when he talks to Palpatine. The scene is chilling. It's after his battle with Kenobi. He's back in his palace on Mustafar. And he is communicating with Palpatine via hologram. And he pledges his allegiance to his master. And then the hologram ends and he's left alone. He sits upon this obsidian throne in a grand palace on Mustafar, the place of his ultimate failure. And he is completely and utterly alone. How tragic is that? Shout out to John Cox, a good family friend of mine, for underscoring this truly pitiful state that he's left himself in after it's all said and done. By the way, John, we need to get you on the podcast. Text me about that. I mean, John even said, that almost makes him feel sorry for Vader, and I completely agree with that. I mean, that's worse than any death. That's a man who's lost everything. And it's all because of his actions. But, and this is the last relationship that I'm going through, and it's the shortest one. 
Then we get to Luke Skywalker. When Luke comes along, Vader or Anakin has a chance to walk things back. Luke spares him in Return of the Jedi, shows him mercy, and lays down his weapon in defiance to Palpatine. And Anakin sees this opportunity to save his own flesh and blood, regardless of any atrocities that he's committed. And he sees that despite everything, his son loved him enough to lay down his life to an excruciating death rather than kill him. And that punches through the wall Vader puts up and finally reaches Anakin in a way that people like Obi-Wan and Ahsoka never could. He snaps out of his super and Anakin finally re-emerges from the dark recesses of Vader's mind. And in a final desperate act of love, he hurls Palpatine to his supposed death. And then he knows he's dying, so he asks for his son to remove his mask so that he may speak to him as the man he used to be, finally free from his chains because of the love that Luke showed him. That's the end of what I have to say about his relationships, and I want to move into a more psychological analysis. And honestly, first of all, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not even majoring in psychology, not even minoring in psychology. But I find it very fascinating, and so this is going to be very rudimentary. But the first thing I'd like to say is that Anakin, at the end of the day, is a slave his entire life. He's born a legitimate slave to the Huts and later sold to Watto. And then he leaves to become a slave to the Jedi. And then he turns and becomes a slave to the Sith. All throughout, he was a slave to this crippling fear of losing those that he loved and ultimately being responsible for it. This fear of loss fosters an inescapable desire for control that drives his actions. His status as the Chosen One gives him enough of an ego to believe that he can achieve enough power to acquire absolute power over things like death that are certainties. And he inserts himself into the lives of his loved ones in an invasive and controlling way to try to keep them safe. He's extremely passionate and caring, which puts him at odds with the Jedi and sets him up to join whoever else can provide a viable solution to his problems. In the end... His fear brings about a self-fulfilling prophecy and he inadvertently loses everyone he ever cared about and is lost in this lonely, absolute darkness. But what brings him back? The love and mercy shown by his son and the possibility of watching him die before him. That's what breaks through. The barrier that Vader builds up around Anakin and finally brings him back. Now, I want you all to understand that Anakin is the Chosen One. He is of both the light and the dark, the one who destroys both the Sith and the Jedi, which are both corrupt in their own rights because they serve themselves more than they serve the will of the Force. And in the end, he is redeemed by the love of his son despite all the atrocities that he's committed, which I think is just really beautiful. And when you just watch the movies, everything seems really rushed. But when you dive into the finer details and look at the picture as a whole, it turns into this beautifully painful tragedy of a man who, when trying to protect 
the woman he loved most ended up losing everything. Now that's it. That's all of it. That's something that I've worked on for a really long time. And I really hope that y'all enjoyed it. But this wouldn't be a proper episode if I didn't leave you with just a little bit more. So what I have for y'all today is that Obi-Wan communed with Anakin during the moment of his death and passed on his knowledge of how to become a Force ghost in his final moments before he died. So, that's an interesting thing. I'm pretty sure that that's from the Return of the Jedi novelization, um, and that provides a little bit of context for how Anakin was able to become a Force ghost, even though he didn't receive the same training that Obi-Wan and Yoda did from Qui-Gon um, and the Wills. But I thought that that was interesting. And that being said... Thank y'all so much for listening to this episode. Um, I really, really appreciate it. If you made it this far, I'm going to try this out. Comment the number 66, either on YouTube or on Instagram, under the post for this episode. If you made it this far, please do that. And please share this episode in part one with anyone who you think will find this interesting. These are both been really uh, labors of love for me. And I want to make sure that as many people as possible hear them. So it would really mean a lot if you shared them and put them out wherever you, you think that they would be received well. That would mean a lot to me. That being said, if you have people in your life who don't know Star Wars very well, I have very exciting news for you because next week I'm going to start my year-long Star Wars boot camp. Now, once a month, I'm going to release an episode that are directed at people who don't know much about Star Wars, and I'm going to go through different Star Wars topics. Next week's is the original trilogy, and I'm going to break it down in a very simple way that's easy for them to understand, and will hopefully get them hooked enough to dive into this galaxy for themselves. Um, but I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be doing it over the span of a year, like I said, and I'm just going to do one, one a month, if you don't want to send this to someone, then listen to it yourself and figure out a way to get through to people who are maybe reluctant to um, listen or watch Star Wars. That's totally cool, too. This is, I'm trying to make this an episode for everyone, not just beginner fans. I think that established fans could benefit from it, too, in figuring out a way to converse about Star Wars in a very easily palatable way but that will be coming next monday so make sure you tune in for that that being said i don't have much else make sure to follow us on instagram at twin sun talks subscribe to us on youtube twin sun talks podcast and make sure to follow and listen wherever you get your podcast by searching twin sun talks and yeah that's about all thank you so much for coming on this journey with me you've taken your first steps into a larger world may the force be with you and i will see y'all in the next episode bye friends